0: there is a growing tendency to disregard anything in the Bible, and especially if it does not harmonize with some of our present-day conceptions of things that have to do with life and relationship. And it's unfortunate (coughs) that as a result of the permissiveness of our society today, there is a growing tendency to want to disregard anything that the Bible teaches, and when it does not fit in what some uh, claim today, they are ready to discard the Bible and claim to the side of death. And this is especially true in relationship to some of the problems and some of the things that are being said today and uh, causing the uh, ERA and the other things that are related there too. As a result of this, there are many that are ready to disregard Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 11. And we need to study that carefully and find out whether or not that is uh, out of date. just what it was that the Apostle Paul was saying in that passage. those are the idea <coughs> That if woman is to be in subjection to man, it's an indication of a lack of dignity on the part of woman. to it's to disregard her dignity, and that equality means that there is to be equality in all things, that there cannot be any distinction of function or anything. And of course, if this uh, continues to be advocated, it'll be only a matter of time until this can be destructive, it will be destructive to the home and to the very society in which we live. For this reason, I believe it's worth our while to study the verses that were read in New Zealand in 1st Corinthians eleven, the verses three through sixteen. I'd like to try to take the time tonight just to have a Bible study and see if we can learn some things that Paul said in that and find out whether or not it violates the dignity that belongs to people and whether or not the principle may be or need to be applied today. First of all, in verse 3, Paul states the principle under consideration. And then in verses 4 to 6, he makes the application of that principle. He the a Christian man and woman. And Paul said the principle stated in verse 3 is to be applied in verses 4 to 6. For example, he said a woman praying and prophesying with her head uncovered dishonoreth her hair. Now that's based on the principle that's laid down in verse 3. He, then he talks about a man praying with his head covered. But he's a on his head. And that's based on the principle laid down in verse 3. And then in verses 7 to 13, he gives the interpretation of the application. Then verses 14 through 16, he calls attention to a warning to those who ignore the principles that are set forth in this verse or in these verses. So I'd like for us to begin <coughs> in thinking about the principle that he laid down. Notice what he says now in the verse 3 of Frickering to But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. I think the key to the understanding of what's in this verse is the Riddle Baptist. And the Willie Baptist will read that uh, the head of Christ is God, that the head of woman is man, and that the head of man is Christ. Now, if we can understand the meaning and the significance of God being the head of Christ, we will have found the principle that's laid down. And that's a tendency. But Paul did not just say in this book that man is the head of woman and let it go at He said Christ is the head of man. Man's the head of woman and God is the head of Christ. And that includes far more than just saying that woman is to be in subjection to man. Let us look at some passages in connection with Christ and God. first of all, let me read through it from John 5, verses 18 and 19, and look at the relationship stated between Christ and God in these verses. Therefore why the Jews thought the more to quit him because not only uh, he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Among about that? They understood that Jesus claimed equality with God. Look at the next verse. Then I said, and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sayeth the Father do, for what what things soever he doeth, he also doeth the Son of and thus Jesus claimed equality with God. When John came and said Jesus said, My Father and I are one. So there is stated in the Scripture the equality between God and Christ. Now, question. Does submission destroy equality? Well, let's see if we can find out some things in connection with us. Look at John chapter 5 and verse 17. Jesus said, But Jesus answered them, My father works hitherto and I left. That's cooperation. Here is the relationship between uh, Christ and God. Then look at John chapter 5 and verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing as I will as yet, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of my Father which is me. Now, now, we have already established the fact that the Bible says that Jesus was equal with God. That's exactly what the first verses that I read said. That's the reason that Jesus said it's really a person. Because he claimed equality with God. Yes, here is I claiming equality with God, and yet I, here I, I, he says, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of my Father which sent me. That's the question. Has he lost his equality? Is he no longer equal with God and his spirit God? Now simply because <coughs> that uh, God and Christ are working together. Look again at John chapter 8 and verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Is the fact that Jesus... Did those things that please God, did that destroy his equality with God? And mean that all the dignity that belonged to him and being equal with God is no longer his? Simply because in subjection to his Father he's doing those things that were pleasing to him? A man would be foolish to argue in such as that. And yet that's exactly what the passage says. But listen again to what Jesus said in John fifteen thirty six. Behold, thou cometh, ye is now come, that you to be started, every man be own and to leave me alone. No more. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Now look at the cooperation you have between God and Christ. And yet, Jesus was equal to God. That's what the scripture says. He was deity, and in being deity, he was equal to God. in being equal to God by the cooperation between God and Christ. And the cooperation between God and Christ did not destroy the equality of Christ. But again, in John chapter 14 and uh, verse uh, 28, Jesus said, my Father is greater than I. Now, there are heads here, and that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 11 2 says. Paul said that God is the head of Christ, and that in his mutual work, in his function as Redeemer and Savior, Jesus said, God is greater than I Question. Did Jesus' submission to God as his head, and as he said, my father greater than I," denoting their relationship in connection with their function and the work of Christ as redeemer, did that destroy Christ's dignity? And did that mean that there was no longer that equality between God and Christ? That's exactly what Jesus' only people asked. They say that there's only one in the Godhead. And the reason they try to argue that is because they say that Jesus said that my Father is greater than I. And other such passages they try to show that, that there's only one in the Godhead. But the Bible doesn't teach that. And so where is the cross, or God is the head of Christ, and what Jesus said, that even though God is my head, there is equality between God and Christ. There is cooperation between God and Christ. As far as the person is concerned, Jesus said, my father is with I," but he did not describe the equality. It did not mean that he was in love or in his goodness. But look again, in John chapter three and the verse 35 of that chapter, <coughs> Jesus said, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things unto his Son. Note the love that is stated there by God for Christ. Then look at John chapter 8 and verse uh, 42. And as Jesus said, Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I myself, they sent me. The implication in that passage is, That's because God was Christ's Father that he did that. And therefore, that is the love of God for Christ and the love of Christ for God. All mutual law. In spite of the fact that 1 Corinthians 11.3 says that God is the head of Christ, which does not do away with that mutual law. And there's a uh, passage that states. Then again, in chapter 10, and verse 17 of that chapter, Jesus said, Therefore does my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. And so here is the mutual love that existed between God and Christ. But look at In John chapter 5 and verse 23, Jesus, <coughs> the record says that, that's, uh, let me get in chapter 5 here. But all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Now, mark this. He that honored not the Son, honor not the Father, which Jesus And so does me honor. The honor Christ was the honor God. And the honor God was the honor Christ. Can we not see the same principles as it relates to men and wife? And I'll have a little bit more to say about that in just a minute. But look again at uh, John chapter 8 and uh, verse uh, 49. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And then in verse 64, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If my Father honors me, of whom say you that he is your God. And so again, Jesus emphasized the fact that he honored God, and God on his. But then look again at John chapter 16, and uh, verse 16, Note the mutual success. All things that the Father hath in mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and throw it to thee. I'd like for you to know, that in each of the passages that I have read concerning the relationship of God and Christ, when Paul says that God is the head of Christ, each one of the passages that I have read, the principle in it has application to a man and his wife. For example, in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, Paul said, For you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of them baptized into the Christ are put on Christ, for there is neither gene nor grace born in male nor female, by the quality of a man in his life. And it's stated in that passage, just as there are no distinction between the Just as there are no distinctions before God in social conditions. Paul said in the same way, there is no distinction between a man and a wife. Neither male nor female. There's equality. But there's equality argue that there is no distinction of function. There's equality argue that The wife is not to be in subjection to the husband, but to be in subjection to the husband means she no longer uh, enjoys that equality? Well, surely not. If Christ was equal with God and yet was subject to God, and it did not bestow that equality or his dignity, then why would a woman being in subjection to her husband bestow either her dignity or her equality? The equality that he enjoys as a Christian before God is likely to be But that equality does not set aside the subjection in the relationship between husband and wife. We'll look at in just a minute some more things uh, about that. Is the fact that God is the head of Christ, does that destroy the dignity of Christ? Well, surely not. And just as there was mutual law between God and Christ, is that not what to be between a husband and his wife? 3 to season 5, verse 23 through the rest of that chapter, and that's what it says. Just as if a man, uh, just as he said, the one that honors Christ honors God. There's no way that one could honor God Without honoring Christ, or honor Christ without honoring God. In what manner, how can one honor a husband and not at the same time honor the wife? Or how can the wife be honored and the husband not honored? It would be as impossible to honor a wife and not honor the husband as it would be to honor Christ and not honor God. Or it turns around the other way. And so there's a need to love. There is mutual honor then there is mutual possession. Jesus said that what the Father had is now. And the same principle true in relationship, to heaven been The Nama. Now you have all of these stated concerning Christ, and even though God is the head of Christ, it did not change the subjection of Jesus to God, nor did it change the function of his work. Jesus did not have to do everything that God did to be it. When he had a special work assigned to it, and in the doing of that work, Jesus honored God. And he didn't lose his equality when he did the work that God assigned him to. God planned and purposed in man's addiction. God didn't die on the cross, Jesus died on the cross. When I say God didn't, I mean God the Father. Jesus died on the cross. That wasn't what God the Father did. And therefore, the fact that Jesus had a special person, different from that of the Father, does not mean that he lost his equality with God, or that he lost his dignity before God and man simply because this function was assigned to it. Now, if that's true in relation to God and Christ, when 1 Corinthians 11 began, by stating the very fact that God is the head of Christ, why can we not say that all that's being said (coughs) that in order for a woman to be equal with man, then there must be no distinction of function, That any kind of subjection and relationship that uh, suggests objection denies both the dignity and equality of man. The argue that is the argue that because God is the head of Christ, Christ lost his equality and lost his dignity for God. Anybody that says the Bible knows that's not true. And therefore, the principle is laid down. If that relationship can exist between God and Christ, and then all these other things (coughs) that I have called attention to be proved, then we ought not to have any problem with the fact that man is the head of man. That's what the passage says. People do not object (coughs) to the Bible saying that God is the head of Christ or that Christ is the head of man. The only objection to offer is that woman is to be in the of man, and that man is to be the head of the woman. But now watch the interpretation. Watch, uh, <clears> or <throat> rather watch the application. Every man praying or prophesying, his, having his head covered, dishonest his head. Therefore, whenever a man acts in such a way that he is with a covering over his head. He is dishonoring his head. I don't think that has reference to this head. It has reference to that head, his head, which is cry. And we'll see in a minute the application of that, the interpretation of it, and why that's the case. In the same way, whenever a woman prayed or prophesied with her head uncovered, and at that time it was a burial, then she likewise dishonored her head, denoting that she was ejected. That relation to it, that is itself. Now what's the interpretation that he's going to do? This servant says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Now why is it that a man ought not to play with his head covered? Oh, Paul did the rest. For as much as he is the image and the glory of God. Now that's the reason that a man ought not to pray with his head cut. According to the divine arrangement in the creation, man is intended to reflect the glory of God. And whenever a man fails to act in the way and manner that God created man to do, he dishonors his head because he's not fulfilling the mission and reflecting the glory of God as in creation. That's the reason a man ought to, his to. All man to with his head there. man to pray with his head covered would indicate that there is something between him and God. That's not true. We'll see that in the original creation, that's exactly what God intends. When God created Adam, he intended for Adam to reflect his glory. That result of sin entering into the world that had an impact upon the glory of God. Redemption is called a new creation. Christ is called the second Adam. All of this in the church is intended again to reflect that was lies in the original creation. Therefore, a man is supposed not to not not for his head cover. Why is it that we don't have a hat on in here tonight? By the way, you know, at the time Paul wrote this and Paul with his Jews, Jews called for their head cover. And the reason that they prayed with their heads covered was because, do you recall when Moses went up in the mouth to see the law? He said, veil of his face. In order that they might not see that glory that faded away. And the fading away of that glory in Moses' face is symbolic of the passing of the law or the temporary nature of the law. Turn and read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You'll be able to see that that is the case. That's where they got the idea that because Moses put that veil on his face, that therefore a the man in approaching God, then he ought to pray with his head. But he is the coming of Christ, and Christ being incarnate and dwelling in human flesh. Get away with all of that. And just whenever a man approach God in Christ, he is to pray with his head and pleasure. Did you know? That if I came into this assembly and put my head on and prayed with God, that that would be a dishonor to God because I would be demand the glory that God intended that I was as a man. Now that's what that passage says. And well, what about women? Why is it that a woman at that time is Because of the custom of the time of wearing the clothing daily, why was it that a woman ought to have her head covered? That it is to have her underwear. Well, uh, let's listen to what he says now. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, as much as he is the image in the glory of God. and But woman is the glory of man. Now there's the basis of that relationship. Just as man in the original creation reflects the glory of God, So, woman in the original creation reflects the glory of man. Go back and read Genesis 2. We read in Genesis 1 that God created them male and female, created them. He created them in the image of God. But turn to Genesis 2 and see how the original creation took place. God created Adam, and there were all the animals. God had all the animals to pass before Adam. And he named every one of them. And he and so David, when they were told, the record says that Adam saw not anyone of them that was seated. And then God put Adam to sleep. And from his side took a rib and created Eve. And thereby by Eve reflected, reflected the glory of man. And the Bible says that he created Eve as a help me, for him that is suitable. You know, we sometimes talk about <coughs> the fear of woman or the spirit of man. There is no such thing. Both man and woman are a hemisphere, a part. Neither man nor woman forms the sphere. Not a complete thought. We're not going to read the account of Jesus. Adam was created, but that was only a hidden spirit. That's half. It's not complete. He needed something else. God saw the situation, and had all the animals to pass the faith, not a single one to see them. Therefore, God said, I'll put him to sleep. Take a word from his side and create for him a health meeting. That is, that which will complete us, and therefore the other half, are the hemispheres, or hemispheres. And it takes both then for it to be complete. Now, the statement made by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 is based on creation. Not some superstitious idea, or cultural idea that Paul came up with in Corinth and thereby began to preach that the women ought to be in suggestion to the husband. That's not at all. It's based on creation. And then (coughs) he further says, For man is not of the woman, and thus God did not create woman first. He created Adam, and then from Adam created woman. And that's the basis of the relationship. And it's the basis of that relationship that establishes the argument and the principle that Paul is born in their face. That man is the head of woman. It goes back to that original creation. But then he said, in the next day, the neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Go so back and read Genesis two and you'll see that that is the case. Then in verse 10, for this cause that the woman to have power on her head because of the angel. To me, that's the most difficult passage in that in this series of verses. What does it mean? Have power on her head because of the angels. I'm not sure that I know what it means. But if I was going to give an explanation of it, I would read verse 15, which says, but if a woman has long hair, it's a of to her. For a hair is given to her for a test. In other words, a woman's hair is an indication of the uh, femininity of a woman. It's intended to suggest that, and to be able to reflect that. I and mean, <coughs> it's my judgment that the word "power" in both men is a word that used symbolically for the heart. But whenever a woman has that on her head, it's a reflection of her glory as thy made it. now what, what does that mean when it says then, that you ought to have power on her head because of the angel? Turn and read, Ephesians uh, 3, verses 10 in the left. Notice what Paul says in connection with, <laughs> I think the very point, at least if I'm able to understand, to the intent that principalities and powers in the heavenly place might be made known by the manifold wisdom of God. What's the principalities and powers in heaven heavenly place? Is that not angel? That it might be made known by the manifold wisdom of God. What does mean the manifold wisdom of God? He's simply saying that the church is an exhibition and a demonstration of the divine will that whenever man sins, God set about the redeemed. And as result of the church, the angels stand back and look in at what God has done and undoing what seen himself. And by and by they see the wisdom of God as it unfolds. And as it ends up, in God's eternal purpose in the Church of our Lord. That right? stand back to 1 Corinthians below man. is the been and if I'm right, that a hair is given unto her the glory, and as a simple Christian and as a child of God, with that manifestation of her womanly character and her womanly dealing, the angels stand back and behold the wisdom of God in undoing what sin has done." Now, that may not be what that passage means, but if that's not what the passage means, I do not know what it does mean. But it seems to me that in view of the emphasis that's given in this passage, that that uh, could well be the idea that this, and that whenever a woman fills her place in life as a simple child of God, recognizes the basis of creation the way that God has made man and woman, that it? seeing of that body and angel calls them to stand back, as Ephesians 3 and and 10 says, stand back in amazement as they behold the manifold wisdom of God in what he does. Whenever sin had so upset the affairs of the earth, it was my judgment. That in 1 Timothy 1, or 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says the woman was first in concept, that that indicates that either sinned here, the had healed, which God hadn't given to. That it in the threw this old world into the same. And through everything out of joint. the heartache and the sorrow that the world is known, as resulted from women rejecting their head healed, that God has given the man in the day of the good and being forced into progress and taking belief and led the world into sin and, and Adam along with That being true, when God's eternal purpose through Christ that the church and the deer, and that when there are both men and women that submit themselves to the gospel of Christ and to the will of God, and that a woman allows the prince of the gospel to influence her life, and the woman is beauty that God gave manifest by the glory that's given in her heart, the very power that's there, that whenever the angels in heaven behold such upon the earth, they stand, as Paul says in Ephesians 3 and 2, and see the manifold wisdom of God. That may not be what that passage means, but that sense fits the sense of what I know the truth is. That also to make human want to manifest all the womanly, feminine characteristics with which God has endowed? And in so doing the simple child that God found her place and function in the church, and in so doing, the angels in heaven stand back and look what the gospel has done to him do what's in itself as I said that may not be what Paul had in mind but if that's not it I have no other idea what it means but then no nevertheless, neither last need is man without the womb so in the original creation Adam is but there but since then there has never been a man that's come into this world that did not come from you, yeah. And thus Paul places the emphasis there. Neither is the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman, is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Good thing he says, is it common that a woman pray unto God in trouble? not even make yourself teacheth that if a man have long hair, to seem to hear. And whenever... <coughs> Uh, men allow their hair to grow in such a way to indicate that it's feminine, that's a reflection on the way that God made. I think we need to make a distinction between size and uh, that which is is feminine, also. Whenever men allow their hair to grow way down on their shoulders like women. That they denial of the very things that's laid you, laid down in these verses of Judith. As long as it's masculine, and as long as it's distinctive and masculine, they're not even saying that that. And everybody would not have to have their hair cut as short as I have mine cut. The point is that there must be that distinction that's made and that's exactly what it says. Let a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. And that is that a woman's hair is to accept womanly, feminine quality. We get to warn for a woman to have hair like a man, have to cut like a man, as it would be for a man, to allow his hair to go out, down to his shoulders and below, and let it uh, be like a man. It must be distinctive as far as uh, whether it's man or a woman. And that's a uh, bad, that that be the, the case. And Biddy said, <laughs> That if the woman have long hair, it will grow with her hair, for the hair is given, her for the cover. But if any man seem to be contented, we have no such custom, neither case the case it is done. Joe Paul said, There is no such thing as a woman at that time, nor the wire and the veil. Now, somebody raised the question, and I find that, but I'm going to answer the question anyway. What about the base? It is necessary to wear the veil to go. And Paul said, if any man seemed to be contentious, number one, there were false teachers in the Church of Corinth creating false, And therefore, the matter of came to that and the swayed, and the freedom provided her in the gospel that she did not have to wear a veil, thereby denoting her subjection in the name. Now, Mark, did. whenever, or at that time, the custom of a woman wearing a veil in a hand and in force, the divine relationship between a man and a woman. For example, a woman having a veil on, was symbolic of this the principle stated principle, stated in verse 3, that man is the head of woman. And whenever a woman had a veil on, that is an indication that she recognized this divine principle. And every woman laid a veil aside. That was an indication she accumulated this divine relationship and claimed equality with man versus God for the and others are doing today. That. That's the principle that's laid down in that fact. And thus, there's not anything that would indicate that just because a woman is to be in subjection to man, it destroys her equality before God. But there are functional things and positions and situations that God has assigned to us in society, and this is based on creation. And the principle laid down in 1 Corinthians 11 go all the way back to creation. The only reason that Paul said anything about the veil was because the veil at that time enhanced and enforced that divine principle. All customs do not do that. Wherever well, there is a custom that would enforce that divine principle, then we ought to abide by the custom. But you know, custom don't always do that. Uh, for example, here's a tire that i had to buy recently because uh, they are slinking up. That if Satan's coming long enough, I wouldn't have had the these about 10 years ago. I'd have had some tires that's been just right as far as custom is concerned. But they keep printing up and they'll print them up more than this. So it's over, so you have to buy another. Now it wouldn't be a sin for me to get up here and wear a dog pie, it wouldn't be anything, because that would have not one thing to do with the relationship between me and my wife. That's just a question as to how wide the pie is, that's all. I'm if I wanted to wear a uh, wide tie, I didn't think wrong with it. It took them out of the speeding. If I began to wear ties as wide as they clink up, I don't clink mine up, first thing you know, brother will say, well, uh, he's beginning to get old now, and his ties are that old, and we need to change faces from him. And so I tried to make mine clink up a little bit. And <laughs> as far as, uh, huh! But that's a custom that has nothing to do with principle at all. That wasn't true concerning the veil. The veil indicated a woman's relationship to man. And because that custom denoted that relationship, Paul said whenever a man lived tied that door, it was equal to re- repudiating that relationship. And so there are the principles that are set forth. Corinthians so there's not one thing in that passage that... Is degrading to women, unless in the very beginning and in the original creation, God degraded woman when he didn't make us first. And uh, may I uh, suggest also in this connection that I think in view of these passages when Paul said that man was first created and that man is to accept the glory of God. When somebody begins to talk about God being a woman, they are irreverent before God and are denying the things that are set forth in the original creation. It's time that we realize that God's word is true. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 has its application to us today. It's not proud before God that the good Christian women in this church and elsewhere will respect what God has had to say about the matter. And just remember that if Jesus could be with God, would be subject to him without a dishonor in him. In the same way, in the same manner, when we follow the principles set forth in the Bible, it's still true. I've gone over two or three minutes tonight, but I wanted to get all of this in. Is